This week's guest on the Metamagic, newest member of the Star City Games machine, Jerry Thompson. Hey. You have a new job with Star City Games. How did this all come together? Actually, it was kind of my girlfriend's uh, fault, I guess, if you would, where we were living together in North Carolina, and it was kind of just like a bad situation with her roommates kind of sucking and stuff like that. So she wanted to move for a job and uh, eventually just got to a point where, like, I put out some feelers at Star City and was like, well, maybe she could come work there and then I could do some more stuff in-house. So I started talking to Steve Saden and Evan Irwin about it, and they're just like, yeah, come on up. And uh, currently she doesn't have a job still, but that's kind of my fault. What is your exact role going to be with Star City Games? Uh, my title is Mixed Media Specialist which basically means I'm going to be doing a bunch of different things, and they don't have a real title for me. <laughs> You've obviously done a lot of work with Evan. Uh, what is it like working with him? Uh, I mean, he's awesome. He's so so fun and high energy, and then he just knows what exactly has to be done at all times to make things the way he wants it. So, uh, I mean, both aspects are just awesome. The videos you're going to be providing, is there going to be a specific focus on them? Uh, we just finished taping the first episode, and I'm a little rocky in front of the camera. It's harder than it looks, but there's going to be like four or five segments per show, and we have outlines for like ten different ones that we'll keep rotating in depending uh, on what people like. So, You're still going to be writing your articles, correct? Yes, definitely. Uh, I, in the last few months, I started writing uh, two a week every once in a while when I had a lot of things to say, and I imagine that's going to be the case so. Now, you've been in Magic for over 15 years. After speaking to Raphael Levy, who's also had a 15-plus year career, how do you keep your desire to play at the highest level? Uh, well, sometimes I don't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of comes and goes. We're like, there are times where I just want to take a break. You know, it's too much traveling, uh, too much work, and maybe I'm entertaining the notion of doing real-life things, and then I'll do that for a little bit, and I'll be like, man, you know, I just want to go in battle, so... Then I'll play at a PTQ and just win that and, like, get back on the train, basically, and then I'm hooked again. So that's happened a few times. The game has constantly evolved, and you've adapted to the changes. How have you done it? Um, I don't know. Like, I think it's more so, like, I'm willing to take in information and just kind of absorb it, whereas a lot of people are just, like, uh, they get kind of narrow-minded where they're just, like, uh, you know, card advantage is key or something, and then, but like with the power creep, that's not always the case. Where you know you can you can play a Liliana and start discarding cards, and that's like card parity or whatever, and then you're down a card because this Liliana or something. But you know, you just have like this powerful thing in play that even though you're wasting a bunch of resources to keep it around, like it's still going to win you the game. And you know, card advantage doesn't really matter in that aspect, or like uh, just. Even like playing against a Jun deck and getting Blightninged a few times, like you can still beat them just by playing with Goblin Guides and like Burn Spells and stuff. You know, like everything is changing and the theories don't always matter. So you just kind of have to look at the decks that are in the format and you know kind of figure out what matters against all those. And then people just are hung up on these old theories that aren't really relevant anymore. Relationships in Magic between players are what make Magic special. Tell me about some of your favorites. Um, right now, it's it's actually weird because 
I've been playing a lot of Star City Opens and not as many Grand Prix and Pro Tours, so my relationships have changed a lot, and now I'm hanging out with a bunch of kids like Jason Ford and Ben Hayes, Drew Levin, like all these people that are, you know, almost 10 years younger than me, so it's it's kind of weird, but it's really nice seeing, like, these this new breed of kids that are really excited to play Magic and want to get on the Pro Tour and stuff, but I'm still good friends with, like, uh, Luis and Gabe Walls and people like that. It's just, you know, like a different relationship where they've moved on, sort of, and are doing more real-life things, and then I have my actual Magic friends, so. You had a famous pie incident with Patrick Chapin. He's known to be quite the prankster. What were your thoughts when it happened on camera? I honestly have no idea what was going, going through my mind when that happened. It was a very strange thing. Obviously did not see it coming. That's something that I would never expect in a million years. Uh, but I think I handled it pretty well, where I maintained my composure, tried to finish the interview, you know, and then uh, eventually just started laughing at the absurdity of all of it. So, What has changed for you since you've gotten into magic for yourself and for the tour? Uh, for the tour, it's easy because I can look back at times where uh, kind of like the barrier to entry into the pro crowd was a lot harder where you had people like uh, PTR who were just constantly berating people but also you know like livening up the pro tour you know like his antics were absurd and awesome as long as you were not the the focus of them but that kind of stuff doesn't exist anymore there's not very many personalities out there like everyone's pretty nice and then things like Twitter and Facebook have just made all the pros more accessible where you know, people just get to send Chapin a message if they want him to look at his deck. And people, since people are nicer, like, you have a lot more people coming up and asking for autographs and doing stuff like that, too, which didn't really happen back then. How does that make it different for a person like you who's seen both sides of this? Uh, it, it's crazy, you know. I mean, I I kind of miss the days when there was, like, Team ABU, and they're all, like, kind of shady but not blatant cheaters. And, but... They're all just dicks, too. So you, you play against them, and you just really want to beat them where your friend's playing against them, and you're just really rooting for your friend, you know? It's, like, a lot different when there's a concept of good and evil, and that doesn't really exist anymore because they're all trying to, like, star-build these pros, and no one actually has that kind of attitude, so... Is it missing the rivalries? Um, I mean, I think I think because the fact that there are fewer teams, you know, like Channel Fireball is about the only one, and I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of that later, but now there's no more team rivalries. It's just like personal vendettas, you know, like even Brad and Conley are on the same team and they're constantly bickering with each other, like, you know, good natured and everything, but it's it's just that type of stuff where you're in close proximity with people for, you know, three or four days at a time and you play them over and over in the same tournaments and, you know, you just want to beat them, so. You've played a lot of matches on camera. Can you talk about some of the matches on camera that you've really enjoyed? Um, I don't know. Like, the, the ones on camera uh, haven't really been that high profile. Like, I, I haven't been in a Pro Tour Top 8, and uh, I was Top 8 in Grand Prix before they were on camera and stuff like that. But I, I really enjoy every time that I play Alex Bernicini in a Star City event mostly because it's, like, featured every time, and I know exactly what's in his deck, I know his play style, and I, I just get to read him, you know, because he's an open book, and I crush him every single time. So, I mean, that's that's pretty enjoyable, because I know I'm going to get, like, a, an easy win in top eight or, 
you know, playing for top eight or in the finals or whatever, so it's nice. With all the changes because of bannings and it forces a player who's been playing Cobblade to go to something different. How hard is that transition going to be for some of those players who've been on the, the Star City Tour with you that that's all they've played? Yeah, I mean, it was like I was talking about before where people just have the the ingrained notions or uh, where they're just like, oh, you know, Cobblade's the best, I'm going to play Cobblade, and then they ban it, and they don't know anything else. They don't know how to adapt. And for me, I've been around, and I've played, like, all these different types of decks, and I don't even necessarily play test that much anymore because I can see a list and match it up against something else, and I can just go over it in my head, like, what cards are important and what matters and stuff. And I don't think the kids have played as much to be able to do that. You know, they need to jam a bunch of games and learn what's going on, and that's what they have to do, and maybe it'll take a couple weeks of them, like, physically playing in tournaments for it to happen because, uh, you know, their work ethic in the weekdays is not very high from what I understand. So You have said in the past your favorite format is Constructed, but you have a, a very strong record in Limited. Why is Constructed your favorite? Um, I think Constructed, it's just easy to see the fruitier labors like almost immediately, especially with something like Magic Online where you play in a tournament and you play against something maybe you didn't expect and you're just like, oh, you know, crap, got crushed by that deck. But like you change three cards, you hop in the next tournament, you play that matchup again and you beat them, you know? Like in limited, that type of thing doesn't happen. It's all uh, minor edges and you don't necessarily see that type of stuff happening. Like if you play against a guy in limited and he's splashing some terrible red card, you don't necessarily see by the way the game is playing out like that he has a double white card stuck in his hand because he has a mountain in play, you know? So I don't know. Maybe maybe I just overvalue how much more rewarding Constructed is, but for me, that's what it feels like. And for limited on a day-to-day basis, you know, like right now I'm staring at a notebook and like brewing for Legacy. And I can't, I can't do that with Limited. So, The SCG Open Series has been a bonanza for you. It almost seems like if you want to win, you do. Is that true? Uh, it, it's kind of true where, especially with Cobblade existing, like that was a joke because that deck was so insane and I played it well and the people weren't really prepared for you know how to beat it, how to play against it, stuff like that. So that was kind of easy. And, and now it's more of the same thing where... If I want to win and I want to prepare, like, I'm probably going to do pretty well. And for Legacy, like, bug-type decks are like the new Cobblade, basically, where I haven't gone worse than 7-2 and two since I've been playing bug. So, I don't know. Like, now, now I've been experimenting more, and especially with this new standard format, I don't know exactly what's good and uh, what I should be playing. So I've been doing a little worse as of late, but I expect that will change soon. You also drop for your friends that need points. And this was kind of an unwritten rule of magic that was done in the past, but not so much in the present, to help other players in the long run. Is that true? Is that why you do it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like part of it is fostering good relationships and stuff. And in the past, there was a lot of people, or were a lot of people that had team affiliations and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, you know, I'll scratch this guy's back that's on YMG, and then, you know, maybe I'll get paired against another one of their teammates, and they'll help me out and stuff like that. And... Uh, I mean, that's that's just good for the community. It's like everyone ends up being helped because what goes around does actually come around. And and now it's like, f- for me, sometimes I just feel like I don't 
need the pro points or the notoriety of, you know, whatever top eight we're playing for or something. You know, I've, I've been there and done all this stuff, and it doesn't really matter that me, but I know that it'll mean a whole lot of them to them to, like, top eight their first Grand Prix or something. So, What about doing coverage for SCG? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, but I feel like if I'm going to go through the trouble of traveling to these tournaments, then I'd probably rather be playing. Does the fact that doing coverage could be a challenge, the fact that it takes two days of nonstop conversation? Yeah, I don't know. I think I could BS my way through it, but <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I definitely like hopping in the booth from time to time and covering some matches and stuff, and people have said that I've done a solid job, and I haven't heard people complaining too much about me, so I assume that I'd be fine, so I wouldn't really need to work too hard at it, but... You know, maybe if it was, like, a local event or something, then I wouldn't mind doing it. But the the traveling is the main thing that I don't like about Magic right now, even if it's just in the U.S. Like, I hate riding in a car for eight hours at a time, whereas back in my PTQ days, I would just love that. You know, it would be awesome to hang out with my friends and stuff. But now it's just like, uh, can we just get this over with, you know? So if I'm, if I'm going to do that to, like, work all weekend, that just seems miserable. But if I get to play it, then I think it'd be fun. Speaking of those younger players on the SCG Tour, they're seeming to struggle on the Pro Tour GP circuit. Is there something you're seeing why they're struggling? Well, it's the the lack of practice and focus and all that, where they get to play the same Rug deck or Merfolk deck or Cobblade deck, and then you go to a Pro Tour that's a brand new format like this modern one was, and all those kids just got crushed because they... You know, don't know all the all the decks in the format and all the interactions, but when Modern was spoiled, like, I could make a list of 40 potentially viable decks, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to succeed in the tournament, because, you know, I didn't, but uh, it just means that they are starting with a handicap, and they need to just put more work in to overcome that, and so far it hasn't happened, so... You do work with them before tournaments when you were at uh, the PCG player in Chicago. You were helping the guys play test before the event. Have you thought about making a team like Channel Fireball so they can do better at GPs and PTs? Yeah, I don't know. Like Me playing some games against some kids before a tournament and showing them my list is me more helping them out than anything because you know my list is probably more tuned than theirs. But occasionally there's someone that will convince me to change a card, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Like, usually I'm just better off listening to myself or whatever, but as far as starting a team on my own, that would require a lot of work, and no one really lives in a central location that would be good. Like, maybe if they all lived here or something, then it'd be fine. But also, they're all kind of the same player, where, like, if there were Alex's and Christian Valenti's and uh, Edgar's on my team and stuff, like, they would be they would have the role that, like, Michael Jacob mostly plays with Chapin, where he's just the bad guy, and he's the one playing the Jun deck against Chapin's Bruce while Chapin's trying to beat him, because he he doesn't want to try and experiment, you know? And towards the end of their testing, you know, he'll have a, a firm grasp on what's going on after playing all these games, and he'll be able to contribute some, but for the most part, he's just the bad guy, and that's what all those kids would be for me because none of them are like brewmasters, you know? And I don't need like 10 of those guys. So starting a team with them won't really matter because I want to have like all the pieces I need. What do you think as they evolve as players over time? Do you see people picking up 
all those other positions that need to be filled to do that? Is that something that will happen with them hopefully over time? I don't know. I think that's just something that they pref- they would have to prefer to do on their own when they start out. Like, uh, I know that AJ has singled out Ali Trazi as a good person that would make uh, a good brewmaster for a team, you know, but uh, he wouldn't necessarily be the guy that you would want to jam Jund against over and over because he's not going to want the Jund deck to win. So you're going to need the Alexes that are willing to play the stock decks. And I don't think that Alex is ever really going to evolve because he's always just going to want to play a close version to the best deck because he knows he can do well in the tournament. You know, So for him, he doesn't see much value in adapting and changing things up and playing brews and stuff like that. So I think for the most part, those guys are like pigeonholed into that category and Ollie's always going to be the brewmaster and you know Edgar and Alex are always going to be the ones playing like the you know, the solar flares or ramp decks or cobblades or whatever. Does that limit their long-term potential? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that I was probably like them, where I'm just like, okay, I'll play Fires and Psychotog and stuff like that, and I just really like those decks a lot. And then people would show me, like, an opposition deck with uh, Spontaneous Generation and Sapperling Cluster and just, like, all these weird cards, and I'm just like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, I have, like, my awesome Psychotog deck. But it gets to a point where, like, that Spawn Gen Opposition deck is the best deck for two weeks. And if you are not willing to branch out and figure those things out, then you're really going to miss out on those two weeks. So it's like a very small percentage of your career where it actually matters, but I think it does matter. Like, it pays dividends if you actually have the right deck for the right tournament. Is that why when it came to the Star City events that you were the one that was always the one step ahead whenever it came to first putting in red into the deck and putting black into the deck, you always seem to be the person that's one step ahead of the group, and then everybody kind of follows the train. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm willing to change things up, and I know that changing, like, five cards in my Cobblade deck isn't going to make a world of difference as far as the negative goes, but I have the potential to benefit a lot from it. You know, like, if... I wasn't playing Day of Judgment the week before, and then I started playing it main deck, you know, like maybe I'm going to blow someone out, but it's not going to be bad for me ever, because I'm still going to play like this awesome Cobblade shell. And those guys, in addition to not branching out and playing new decks, they're not even willing to really change cards in their deck. Like, I think you can look back at Alex's Merfolk deck over the course of, you know, the last two years, and it's still within the same 60 cards in 75. And that's just absurd. Like, there's no way that that is correct. Like, you should be changing cards week to week, and he just doesn't. That kind of baffles me because of the fact of how uh, Legacy just, it seems like Legacy from week to week will change, where, I mean, just think of the havoc mental misstep caused in Legacy until they change that. I, it's got to be difficult to be successful with that if you're jamming the same thing and everybody else is changing and tinkering. Yeah, well... Well, that's the thing with Legacy is, like, there is no real metagame, and I think Drew kind of touched on that in his article, or, you know, that was the focal point of his article or whatever, but the Legacy tournaments that you're seeing are all over the country, and probably half to the majority of them are local players, and the Legacy players all play their one deck. You know, there are a few people that have the entire collection to play anything that they want, you know? And if they do, like, they're probably loaning out decks to their friends and they're playing their pet decks. So, like, if the the metagame that you see in Atlanta is going to be different than the metagame you see in California, no matter 
what time of the month it is or, you know, what deck is supposed to be good because there's always going to be people playing a bunch of Merfolk even if it's terrible that week because, you know, so-and-so deck just, like, won the tournament. So, I don't know. Like, my plan for these Opens is to just play a deck that's capable of beating anything and then hopefully go from there. And, like, that's basically what the bug deck is. And I think Alex has a similar plan with this Merfolk deck where he knows he has a fine matchup against everything. You know, obviously there are decks like Zoo that are just going to crush him. But, you know, he doesn't really need to be changing cards, and I think it might just, you know, hurt his brain to think. So he just doesn't focus on it. AJ referred to you as the leader of the younger players. What does that mean? Um, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's pretty cool. That's definitely the role that I want to be in, and it's nice to have people looking up to me and uh, wanting to repay me for the help that I've given them and stuff, but... I don't know, that's not really why I do it. It's like, if if I'm playing against someone for top 8 of a Grand Prix and I don't have any pro points and they're chasing, like, level 5 or something, you know, like, I'm, I'm definitely going to concede to them just because I know it matters more to them. And if it's, like, a really good friend of mine and seeing them in top 8 or winning the tournament is just as good as me winning. So, you like, me helping these kids and the people that I'm friends with, like... I mean, it gives me more chances to feel good about how the tournament ended, you know? Like, I'm always happy to see my friends do well. You also help a lot of non-pro players with deck advice and tips, because you do a lot of it online. Why do you do that? I don't know. I'm just a nice guy, I guess. I get a bad rap. But no, I, I, I just like teaching. Like, it's it's really fun, and it's nice to, to have a student that is willing to learn and capable of learning. It's just, like, really refreshing because you don't see that a lot, you know? Like, everyone in Pro Magic is, or not even necessarily Pro Magic, but, like, the lower levels of Pro Magic, like the PTQ grind and, like, the Star Cities and stuff like that, like, everyone is trying to make a name for themselves, so they just become artificially cocky and full of themselves, and at that point they stop learning and they plateau as a player, and, like, they just can't get any better. So whenever someone comes along and they, they just really want to learn, like, it's really refreshing and I like seeing it, so I'm more than willing to help. You have a lot of fans on the podcasting community, including your friends on the A-Team and UMTG Taps. Do you enjoy the ability of going on those shows? Uh, I mean, I think it's a ton of fun. Like, basically just get to hang out with people, which is what I want to do at Magic Tournaments anyway. So then I get to do it during the week with a bunch of people that I might not have spent a whole lot of time with, you know, like... Uh, Joey Pasco and Big Head Joe are always doing coverage, and KYT lives in the frozen wonderland for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I just don't get to hang out with those guys a whole lot. So, you know, it's, it's cool, and they, they get to ask some sweet questions, and I, I enjoy their stuff, you know, and I just started listening to your stuff too. I downloaded a bunch of podcasts and have been listening to them on my terrible eight hour car rides that I mentioned before. So, what are some of your favorite moments on those shows? Uh,. I don't know. It's it's always fun when people ask me about, like, me versus Chapin and, like, the cruel ultimatum thing or me getting pied by Chapin and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's like, kind of awkward subject matter, but it's fun to discuss my rationale and, like, make jokes about it and stuff, and I'm glad that people still remember that stuff. Cards get banned from the past to now. Have you had any major objections to them? Uh, sometimes. Like, for for the most part, I think it's, like, when they haven't banned something, like, when Affinity was around, 
and it's just like everyone's like, okay, you know, new band restricted list. Like, let's see what happens. And they're just like, huh, nothing. That's that's weird. Like, am I going to FNM this week? Yeah, probably not. You know, like that sucks. I think what they're doing with Modern is awesome, and what they're doing in Standard is fine too. Where you know everyone is just objecting to these cards because they're so powerful, and I'm, I'm more than fine with them over banning and making the format you know just non-threatening basically by getting rid of you know ponder and preordain like <laughs> those cards are fine and probably didn't need to be banned but like it doesn't make me unhappy if the format slows down even more you know states came and went with a large amount of touring players that were in it and won do you like to play states i do it varies year to year but uh, for the most part, it's it's just cool to have that title, and I won states once in Minnesota with Affinity, no less. But uh, you know, the, the free events for a year is kind of cool if you're playing a lot of PTQs and stuff, and just being state champion. And I have a lot of friends that also like to play in states, like Cedric Phillips and stuff. So if I get to rub it in his face that you know I won states and he didn't. That's that's a good plus, but then this year he won states playing my deck and I got crushed, so kind of awkward. You know, you've had multiple top eights and wins and 155 lifetime Pro Tour points. What do you think it's going to take to make the Hall of Fame? A lot more. I listened to one of your podcasts, I don't remember which one, but you asked someone whether or not I had a shot at Hall of Fame, and I just started laughing, because there's just no shot. Like, if you don't have at least three Pro Tour top eights, that's like the only metric people really go by, and I think you you brought up, you know, the Star City top eights and stuff, too, and it's like, man, I wish those counted, because I would definitely be in the Star City Hall of Fame, not close, but for, for the Magic stuff, I have to kick it up a notch, and I don't know. The Pro Tours have always proved difficult. They're always they're always new formats, and I'm good at uh, breaking the existing ones. So, you made a comment today on Twitter about the fact that you said, "Wait till I win Player of the Year." Yeah. All the things that have changing for you is this now be- becoming a refocus for you? Um, kind of the opposite, actually. I was I was like half kidding, but I, I don't know. If if I figure out standard, like I'm definitely going to win, but. Uh, I think tickets to Kansas City, which is not this weekend, but the next one, are like 600 from Roanoke. And I'm talking to my girlfriend about driving to uh, Charlotte maybe and flying from there. But then it's still like, you know, all that driving and flying and stuff. And then I might have to skip Las Vegas because immediately after that there's a Grand Prix and the Pro Tour. So I don't know. I might actually have to skip some of the events this year. And then if Edgar or Alex do well, then it's going to suck for me. But... Are you focused on Worlds now? I don't know. Like it's, I've played in so many Pro Tours and done so poorly at basically all of them. It's like 30 almost, uh, definitely high 20s, that I kind of consider the Pro Tours as free rolls now. Like I don't really expect to do well because it's just like traditionally something that's very, very difficult for me to perform well at just because I feel so underprepared. And... Chapin has been getting on my case, rightfully. You know, he's he's a good friend to do that about trying to prepare more for the pro tours. But it's a lot of work, and I'm not sure if I can do the traveling. And I really, actually, just hate playing like Magic. So I don't know. <laughs> if you had advice for someone that was a PTQ grinder that was trying to ascend to 
the Star City level and or the GP level. What piece of advice from all the years you've played would you give them? Just learn, absorb information, uh, good or bad, try and decipher, you know, how relevant it is to you and what you're doing, and always keep an open mind, both about uh, things that people might say about, like, draft picks or card choices, and both that and your play and, like, things that you may have done that were wrong. Like, I know that I have people on the Star City circuit to, like, watch me play and ask me, you know, why I did a certain thing. And usually it's after I lost because they want to, like, kind of feel smart by being like, oh, you could have won if you did this, you know, type of thing. So that's kind of annoying. But then I explain to them what my thought process was, and, you know, they they can't really refute it. But, like, sometimes I'm just wrong, you know, and I just miss a play because I'm concentrating on something else or whatever. And, like, it's very valuable to not shut that out, you know, because if someone was like, hey, you know, why didn't you, like, play this land instead of this land? Like, maybe I just played it and didn't even think about it, and then I'm just like, yeah, I lost that game, got unlucky, whatever, but then, you know, I sit here and I learn this valuable lesson, and a lot of people don't really get that type of learning, you know, like, they just ignore it, they're like, oh, you know, got so unlucky, would rather blame it on luck than my own faults and stuff, so uh, you just have to, like, be willing to grow as a player and learn all this stuff that you might not otherwise want to just because it's hard to like kind of you know realize your limits and how much you suck stuff like that is there a bad side to the pro tour because you talked about before how much of a grind it is and how much work you got to put into it i don't think so i mean it's it's just like anything else in life where if you want to do well you're going to have to work you know, and I don't think that's a bad lesson to learn, especially for like these Star City kids who don't have jobs and stuff. But I've worked, you know, since I was a teenager at being good at magic because I knew that I didn't want to work a nine to five and you know, this was the type of lifestyle I wanted and stuff. So I, I worked enough to get to the point where I would be comfortable and now I just like don't really feel like working to do well at a pro tour, so I don't know. I think if, if you want to do well at a pro tour, you have to, like, go above and beyond and, like, actually, you know, bust your ass and do some good work. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Is it going to be something in you that's going to make you want to be at that pro tour top level again? Just not what you're looking to do. Like, when, when I started out, obviously that was the, the big thing. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, I want to get on the pro tour, and then I got on the pro tour, and then I'm just like, okay, you know, I want to top eight something. And I top eight at a Grand Prix, and then I was like, well, now I have to top eight something else so that I can prove that this first top eight was not a fluke. So then I top eight something else, and then, you know, I play in a bunch of pro tours and top eight some more Grand Prix and stuff, and it's just like, I know that I'm good, and I have the respect of my peers and everything, and now through writing uh, and the Star City Circuit, like, I am the biggest name in a lot of the places that I go, you know, like when I go to Baltimore next weekend, I'm almost assuredly going to be the biggest name there. And I mean, I just don't feel like the pro tour is going to really add anything to that. You know, like I already feel pretty happy about the things that I've achieved and, you know, everything that magic has brought me as far as like friendships and, uh, you know, not having to work a nine to five and stuff like that. So, uh, like winning some money would be cool, but I don't care about money that much. So like there, there just really isn't that much drive for me to do well to top eight a PT. Do you watch specific people when you're not playing in between rounds? Um, 
when I was trying to get better, uh, like a, a long time ago, then I would usually stop and watch people play. Like basically, whoever I knew was better than me and was still playing when I was done with my match, I would watch play. And if I was friends with them, even better, because then I could discuss things with them. But now it's just like kind of boring, and a lot of people real like play really slow, and I just get bored easily. So if I was gonna watch anyone, it would be like Luis or Paulo or Shouta, you know, anyone that just plays lightning fast, and I know that basically everything they're doing is correct because then I can learn something from it. It's been a long road for you in Magic, over half your life, correct? Uh, if not, then definitely close to it. Yeah, I've, I'm pretty old. Is that something that kind of stuns you because of... It's like Raphael. It's been half of his life, too, that he's done this game. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy that I've been playing Magic that long, but also, you know, when, when I started playing Magic, uh, I didn't ever think that I'd be, like, almost 30 and still playing. So I think it's more now getting to the point where, like, man, I'm, I'm 27 and I'm still doing this, like... Both of those are pretty crazy. Is there a day that you envision yourself not playing Magic? Uh, I don't know. Like that's that's definitely tough to say, especially now that I'm working for Star City, and uh, I mean I've only been there for like a week or so, but I like my job a lot, and I don't think that there's anywhere to go but up. So, I mean, I can't see me not working for them now with what's going on. So I'm definitely going to be involved in Magic almost no matter what. But playing, yeah. You get more of a thrill from contributing than playing. Yeah, probably. I mean, that, that wasn't always the case, but now, uh, like I said, you know, I've, I've been to a bunch of places and I've had some success, and the playing doesn't mean as much to me as it used to. It's an interesting story to hear because you're actually taking, I will basically say it, like a father figure role. And you're not even 30. I mean, yeah. most people do this when they're like 50 and they've been in a job for 20 years and can start giving wisdom downward. You're doing this before the age of 30. That's a remarkable feat. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been pretty good at absorbing information. So I can remember like all these different theories and crazy articles that people wrote and stuff like that. So whenever something comes up, like I'm pretty quick to impart that knowledge on them. But also like a lot of these kids are, you know, anywhere from 18 to 22 or something, but some of them act like they're 14. So, you know, me being a father isn't that out of line, I think. If there was a game of magic that you played against somebody that you remember good or bad, that just always sticks in your memory, uh, the, the first one that pops to mind isn't all that interesting of a match, really, but it was when I played Luis in the finals of Grand Prix Atlanta, which was Shards Block Limited, and uh, I don't know, like, we were good friends. I think I was writing for Channel Fireball at that point, too, so, you know, we're, we're kind of like teammates or whatever, and... We're, we're traveling all the events together and working together, and I also conceded to him in that tournament, which was another instance of him like shooting for level eight, and I knew that it meant more to him than me hitting like level four or six or whatever I was trying to get. So then we both end up making top eight, and he's on my right, and we just like draft very well together. Where I'm in Naya, he's in Esper, and like you know we're drafting very different decks, and then we we meet in the finals, and we realize that. Like, he's got 45 points, and I have 24. 
So he's almost at level eight, and I'm almost at level six. So then we discuss like who's going to concede to the other person, and uh, just like who it would be more valuable for in the long run. You know, none of neither of us cared really. It was just like all about maximizing value from the system. But then eventually we're just like, ah, since it doesn't matter, like we'll just play or whatever. And then he made a play in game two or three, whichever the last game was, where he has a Vithian Stinger and I'm at two, and he could kill my Druid of the Anima, but he wanted to have two lethal things where he had this flyer that was hitting me so that I would have to peel two answers to kill, like, you know, his pinger and... Uh, his, his flyer, which was basically impossible, but he didn't know that I had Titanic Ultimatum in my deck, and I needed that Druid uh, for the mana, and then I could appeal any mountain or forest to cast it, and I drew, like, my six planes or something, so... So, he, he thought he was making a good play, but he was kind of messing up, and I think he passed me the Ultimatum, too, so he should have known, so I was a little <laughs> little disappointed in him, and I showed him after the game, and he was just like, ha, 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 you know, just like his, his normal, dirtily self, just like, didn't care, like, we were both happy, you know, it, it just, like, didn't matter at all. And then, I think, he made level 8, and I made level 6, so... There's a lot more socializing than constructive criticism with each other. You, you know, you're kind of just, like, laughing and having fun and taking the time in between to relax, where in a lot of major events, you'll see people that if they have a break, they're, like, all focused and, you know, thinking about stuff. I enjoy that in Magic, and I think that's something I see in you. You will go talk to people. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the tournaments are all about socializing for me, but as far as the Channel Fireball guys are concerned, like, what kind of criticism can they give, you know? It's like Jusa, Apollo, Luis sitting around, and, like, they're playing a limited game against one another, and the other one's birding, and, like, you can't really criticize too much because they all play near perfectly, or they play to the point where if they are messing up, like, they're not going to know because, you know, they all play the same way, kind of. Like, not not to say that they're making a, a bad play, but maybe they could do something different, you know? But. Sometimes when you have those kind of teams to kind of once in a while shuffle the deck and maybe shuffle someone out and bring someone in that has a different view of things... Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's definitely a very valuable thing to have, and their team is awesome because they have all those different views, you know, like Matt Nass is the combo guy, and uh, Conley's kind of the brewer, and Kibler just builds crappy green decks, and and then, like, everyone else is just, like, very, very good and well-rounded, but they have those specific niche people that are basically the keys to their team, because, like... We, we've had teams before where it's like me and Luis and uh, you know some other people and like we're all very good but we don't have a brewer or we don't have a dude that's willing to try crazy stuff and give us crazy ideas like Conley would you know so like those those teams generally end up failing because they're not well rounded so mm -hmm. it's, I don't I don't think it's more so about like shuffling other people in and out but like you need to have like all those different pieces and you know that's basically what everyone who's come on your show has said so I'm not really adding anything to that but you know. The team events, would that be something that would excite you? Yeah, but, okay, so I was thinking about that, and I think my team that I would try and shotgun would be Ben Hayes and Jason Ford. But that's just because I know that we're all friends and we would have a good time, you know? It's not like I feel like, oh, you know, Jason's strength is this, but Ben's good at this, and then I can do this, and, you know, we'd be awesome. Like, I've had teams before where it's like, 
uh, me playing the blue deck, John Pelkat playing the aggro deck, and, you know, Tim Aiden playing the scraps because he is just like a scrappy dude and will win with whatever you give him. And those types of teams are perfect. And, like, I don't know how me, Jason, and Ben would work out. Like, I know that we're all willing to play, like, a blue-black Drago deck with no win conditions, but we can't all play those decks. You know, someone has to be the beatdown guy, and I have no idea who that would be on my team, but I won't care because I'll be having a ton of fun. Do you think that would help provide some variety in the tour? Because at least with Star City, you have Legacy every week, and that's at least different than either Standard or stuff like that you run into all the time. Yeah, I think the variety would be good, and it might actually do something to help other teams form as well, where if there's like a constructed team Grand Prix or even, you know, maybe a Pro Tour or something eventually where, you know, you're going to have these three-man teams that need to work together, and they're going to figure out that, like, man, we don't have a beatdown player and we need a beatdown deck. Like, what are we going to do? And then they're also maybe going to pair up with another team. So they're going to have, like, a six-man team. And they're going to work on decks, and like maybe something forms from that, and I think that would be great. Is there any advice you could give to wizards on how to make magic better? I mean, that's that's their job, not mine. I don't know. Well, they've been gobbling up talent like crazy. They just took Gavin. They're gobbling up talent. Is no, you enjoy your job with Star City, but if wizards came knocking, uh, maybe eventually. I'm not sure. But back back to the them making magic better, like there are things that I want in magic and there are things that are good for magic in the long run. So like, you know, reducing variance would be cool and having lands that, you know, cycled or did things would be awesome and having, you know, maybe a, a different mulligan rule or something and getting rid of power creep. But like all these things are awesome for magic where the the variance means that like anyone can beat anyone else just like in poker, and that's what gets people hooked, and that's what is going to you know, keep new blood coming in, and that's what they need. So, I mean, so far they're doing a good job with all that. Like, the Titans are insane. Uh, I absolutely hate them, but they're, they're good for the game. So, How do you play something that you just can't stand to play? I don't know. I just do it. Occasionally I get so fed up that I'll be like, alright, I'm playing whatever this dude is playing in a tournament, you know, and I did that in Grand Prix LA when Luis won with Teps and I played the exact same deck and like made day two but just hated every second of it you know and that that helps you grow as a player like when if I'm just playing it casually or like in when we're supposed to be testing or something you know maybe I'll learn a few things but like when you're in a tournament setting and like you actually want to win like it's it's trial by fire and you have to actually figure things out so um, I walked away from that like better as a combo player but I never want to do it again is there anything else that Magic can do for you that you haven't got from it? It'd be nice if they ship me some Pro Tour Top 8s. Like, <laughs> I've, I've put in some work over the years, probably not enough to do that well or whatever, but I don't know, it'd be sweet. Who are the people that you've played against in your career from then until now that you consider the best that you've played against? Like, a group of people where, when I'm playing against them, I have no idea who's winning. So it could be, like, turn three or turn ten, and I'll still have no idea. And a lot of those people are, like, Luis and Paulo and Juza and, you know, the same people I keep naming. And uh, one person that I would like to add that people probably not put on the list is Mark Herbal 
who I voted for for the Hall of Fame this year. And, uh, I mean, I was pretty sure that he wasn't going to get in because he was splitting votes with a bunch of Americans and stuff. But, like, he is very, very good, and he's terrifying to play against because you never know what he has. He probably can read you like a book, and, like, he's stone-faced the entire time up until the point where he beats you or you make a mistake, and then he will cackle and make fun of you. And, like, he he's the closest thing... I think to a PTR that we've had in a while where he just has a lot of fun, like oftentimes at other people's expense, but I love it. It's, it's so much fun to play against people like that. You know, it's like refreshing. It's the personality. Yeah, f- for sure. And, and everyone now is just nice, you know, and, and nice is a good thing and it's cool, but like everyone's, everyone's nice. Like people, people tell me that they're friends with so-and-so because they're nice, but I always told them that's not like a redeeming quality, you know, like you can do better, you can find better friends and stuff, and but, like, nice is definitely a good thing, but yeah, personality, like, come on. Gotta bring something different to the table? Yeah. Back in the day when Magic was in its infancy stages, literally you would have the good guys, the bad guys, the the players that were fudging the rules a lot, and it almost like they, they joked about having them come in with black hats because you knew they were doing something illegal most of the time when the game was being played. You just described it. Nowadays, it's everybody gets along with one another. They all hang out with each other. They all talk to each other. And you're right. There is no us against them mentality. Yeah, there's there's no drama. You know, there's the occasional pause gay that will peel a few extras off of preordain and you know blame it on being on drugs or something but like that's about as exciting as it gets you know nothing nothing truly absurd happens at the events anymore isn't that kind of what you bring uh definitely not in that regard i mean i'm i'm a barrel of laughs and everything but i'm not talking the cheating (laughs) i'm talking about personality right right i was i was not talking about the cheating okay okay there's like i said you may think that you don't think you'll make the Hall of Fame? I have no shot. Even though contributions count? Who counts them? You, you can read all these ballots, and like it might be a tiebreaker or something, but it's not that it's not something that they count initially. Like, Chapin has four top eights, four Pro Tour top eights, mm. and he's the biggest name in Magic right now, and it's not close, and it's all because of his contributions. You know, and People know him because occasionally he does well at a tournament, but he has enough Pro Tours to stack up to the other people and the contributions, and he still didn't get voted in. Outside of Chapman, who do you think else should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't? Uh, there's a bunch of people. Like The the ballot this year was hard because it's a lot of people that uh, you know I knew from the Pro Tour like, way back, so like for probably nine years or something, like Osip and Ben S and Mark Herberholz and just like all those guys, like Rietzel too. Uh, Rietzel and I used to have a nice little rivalry going. That was fun. But, uh, like, those guys should all be in eventually, but they can't do it now because they're all splitting votes and they all have very similar, uh, you know, accomplishments and stuff. So it's, it's gonna suck for them, especially with next year's ballot. Like, there's three basically auto locks and then I haven't even looked at it past that, but it's, it's probably gonna be tough. Is there anything else you wanna say to the masses? Right now, I don't have any rivalries, but, to go back to the Rietzel thing, that was a lot of fun just because we were both kind of like in the same spot where we're 
struggling to get on the pro tour and you know we're doing okay in grand prix and occasionally winning ptqs and stuff and we would just play in like every grand prix or pro tour it was like six tournaments in a row and then i think i beat him like the first three or four times and then he beat me the next three or four times and it was just crazy stuff like that doesn't happen and now i'm talking about how i'm not going to get in the hall of fame but i definitely want to vote for him and that type of thing is like kind of crazy to me, but also, you know, it's awesome to see him have the success that he's had. It's also a mutual respect. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, for, there's respect from my side. I'm not sure how he feels. But. I don't think Paul would have that problem at all. No, no, probably not. He's a good guy. Yeah. On that note, thank you for listening to the Men of Magic. You can contact me at themenofmagic at gmail.com. on Twitter under the Men of Magic or my personal account, the Beamy. This is Robert Martin, and again, thank you for listening.